David sang the praises of the glory of Jehovah. Paul preached that all is lost, safe knowing Christ. Little John said he is precious by leaning on his bosom. So for a moment may I humbly testify. Did I mention that I love him? How I worship and adore him when I can see no way he makes a way did I mention he's been faithful to every promise he ever made me I love him that's all I want to say How many sermons can be preached about this Jesus How many songs can be sung about God's Son There are not enough words Enough notes in the music To tell the story Of all my Savior has done Did I mention that I love Him how I worship and adore Him When I can see no way He makes a way And did I mention He's been faithful to every promise He ever made me I love him, that's all I want to say. Did I mention that he's been faithful to every promise he ever made me? I love him, that's all. I want to say, I love him, that's all I want to say. Amen. Great song. 
Acts chapter 5 tonight. Acts chapter 5. Yeah, do not be alarmed. There are no notes. Some of you have been looking around like, goodness gracious, they didn't pass the notes out. Tonight's a special uh, outreach sermon as we kick off our outreach for the fall. And yeah, so I don't have any notes for you. I just want to walk through the scriptures a little bit. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 5. And let's look there in verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip and Prochorus and the Caner and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. Now look at verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And tonight, that's uh, the phrase we want to focus on is verse 7 there, the word of God increased. That's really what outreach is about, is the word of God becoming bigger in our hearts, in our families, in our local church, and in the community around us. And so we're going to talk about some ways that we can approach this here tonight, and let's begin with prayer. Father, thank you for each one who's here from the youngest to the oldest, we thank you for their faithfulness to be here on a Sunday night. And I pray that as we look forward to this year in outreach, that you would give us direction, that you would give us courage, and that you would really just give us the follow-through to do what you've told us to do. Uh, it's very simple in the scripture what our goal should be and what our role should be. And so I pray that you would help us to follow and to serve the way you would have us to. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, go back to John chapter 1. And I, I want to tonight give you five parts of outreach in the local church here. Five ways that the Word of God increases. And we start here in John chapter 1, and most of these are all familiar passages. Uh, nothing groundbreaking as far as some new truth here tonight. Outreach is... Yeah, as old of a truth as there is, but look at John chapter 1 and verse number 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Look at verse 41. He first findeth his own brother. He first findeth his own brother. Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. And I underline in my Bible the next words, and he brought him to Jesus. So 
There was somebody he already knew, obviously it was his own brother, and he brought him to Jesus. That's the first aspect of outreach in the local church, relational evangelism. It's a personal type of evangelism. It's a one-on-one meeting of, of words and, and uh, testimonies and a relational evangelism. Look further down in the passage to Philip. Look at verse 44. Now Philip was a Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. So here we have relational evangelism with an objection. So he goes and tells him, hey, we found the Messiah. He, we found out he's from Nazareth. And uh, Nathaniel answers back and said, is there any good thing out of Cuna? I mean, you know, is there any good thing out of Parma or whatever it was? It's just sorry, Parma people. Um, is there any good thing out of Caldwell? Whatever it would be, the, the city or the village. He said, there's nothing the prophets about Nazareth? How, how could Messiah be from there? And I, I love what he said. He said, come and see. And that's another key phrase in relational evangelism. As people give you objections and you say, you know what? Our church is doing a terrific, uh, huge day coming up in September. We're all dressing up Western. And uh, we're going to have some fun music and games and a chili cook-off. And you should come. And somebody may say, well, I just don't go to church, right? So they give you an objection, relational evangelism. And what do you say back? Ah, oh, come and see. You know, just come and try it out. And, and so there's two big relational phrases from John 1. Now, I want you to go further with this relational evangelism to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. This is Jesus himself in John 4 and verse number 3. He left Judea and departed into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. So Jesus deliberately, intentionally went to Samaria. Why did he go there? Well, to meet this woman at the well. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, there cometh a woman of Samaria. And I think most of us know the story of how he gave her the water of life. Jesus, obviously, is omniscient. He knew that the woman would be there. And so he went through Samaria. But, you know, there are times in relational evangelism where God will put somebody on your heart that he wants you to go see. Somebody that you already know, or it could be somebody that you don't know really well, uh, but he's put that relationship on your heart, and God creates circumstances that bring a crossroads in that person's life. You know, almost everybody in here who trusts Jesus Christ, it started with some crossroads with a person. Now, that person may have been a, a Sunday school teacher when you were a kid, or Maybe it was your mom singing songs to you at home. Or maybe somebody knocked on your door. Uh, Allison Seyfried rode the church bus to church, but she was how old? Five years old? 
five years old. That's why we have a church bus. So that we can bring kids to a crossroads with Jesus Christ uh, at an early age when they're in the prime time for salvation. And, but it starts with this relational evangelism. Let me show you one more. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Once again, a familiar story, but there's some key words in this. Acts chapter 8. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, verse 26, saying, Arise and go toward the south, under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. So God told Philip, Hey, head out in the desert. There's nothing out there. Verse 27, And he arose and went. So relational, obedience, relational evangelism excuse me, requires obedience. It just requires us to follow the Holy Spirit's leading. Sometimes it's a relationship we already have, where it's a brother or a friend or a co-worker. Sometimes it's somebody that God lays on your heart, like the woman at the well. And sometimes it's just God saying, you know what? Go back into Walmart. Now, that's almost like going to the desert. Right? Go back into Walmart. I didn't want to go to Walmart in the first place. But go back into Walmart. And there's somebody who needed help with their groceries, and you could walk them out and make, form a relationship that honors Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's weird. That doesn't happen that way. It happened that way with Philip. Philip was led by God through this vision or this angel. Now, look a little bit further. We see in verse 29. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, so this is the Holy Spirit, go near and join thyself to the chariot. I want you to notice the next verse. And Philip ran thither to him. Now, have you ever met somebody who's a little too zealous in their evangelism? Right? And they like run toward people and scare them to death. Philip did it. Why? Because this guy was ready. The Spirit of God had Philip go because he was already reading in Isaiah and he needed somebody to teach him what it was saying. And so relational evangelism, personal one-on-one -on -one evangelism is one of the important things that we have to have here in the local church. Now I want you to go back to Mark chapter 6 and we're going to see the second method, second avenue of outreach. Mark chapter 6, and this is corporate evangelism. This is where we have a coordinated effort to go out as a local church. And a, a lot of churches these days don't have any coordinated effort for evangelism. And the Bible teaches us that we still should. And we've got to be really serious about the Great Commission. We have to be serious about what God majors on. And what's important to God is the souls of people. Jesus did this himself. Look at Mark 6, verse 7. And he, <coughs> excuse me, and he called on him, the twelve, and began to send them forth by two and two. So Jesus sent them out in pairs. You two go here, and you two go here, and you two go here. And gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should make nothing for their journey save a staff only. 
no script, no bread, no money in their purse. Sounds like a Baptist church. But be shod with sandals and not, not put on two coats. And so they were supposed to go out as early evangelists, even before the gospel had been completed, Jesus set forth this method of corporate outreach. And we have corporate outreach here. And it's a very important thing. Look over at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Corporate outreach is a little bit easier in the warm weather months. But people still die and go to hell in December, January, and February. And so we have to be faithful in our corporate evangelism. Look at Acts 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And so you see this phrase, house to house, several times in the book of Acts. It does not necessarily mean that they went out cold calling to people that they didn't know, but they went to houses of people where they could connect them with truth, and they did it in a corporate fashion. This was the entire church of Jerusalem that was involved in this. So there's a personal evangelism that takes place in every one of us as as we talk to our own family members, our own neighbors, our own friends. But then there's also a corporate evangelism, and you might call this saturation evangelism. This is where you begin to connect with people no matter where you are. Your acquaintances. And a, how many of you have acquaintances down at Dutch Brothers? All right. You, if you don't, you should. You, uh, I'm just teasing. But we, um, we saw our Dutch Brothers family at the restaurant today. Um, they, they were down there eating lunch at the same place. And uh, you see people that you know as an acquaintance... And taking that to the next level, saturation evangelism. If you ever study the churches of the 20th century that began to grow in the United States, one of the ones that grew from nothing to be a huge church was the Thomas Road Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And Jerry Falwell pastored there for many, many years. That when he first came into town from Baptist Bible College and just in his 20s and went back home to his hometown to start a church. And he didn't set a certain time of the week necessarily to go out, but he called it saturation evangelism. We're going to talk to everybody that we know and everybody we meet about who Jesus is and what our church is doing. And that's kind of the period of time when the gospel tract became this big deal and people started carrying it in their pocket and the postman would walk by and they'd hand it to him, and they go to a restaurant and they put the tip inside. Hopefully they put the tip inside. And they, they would give it to everybody they knew. And then uh, Jack Chick came up with the Chick Track. And uh, they started leaving those in public restrooms and on countertops at football games. And, and evangelism kind of went 
in a, in a direction. But the heart of it was saturation evangelism, to connect the people that we meet with the opportunity to know Jesus Christ. And the way we do that here at Centennial is we have a coordinated effort, just like they did in, in the book of Acts. And we have maps of our city. We have a heart for our city. And we believe that we should go out and meet the people of our city on an annual basis. And so we go out and go out two by twos or groups of three or however it would be. Brother Maddox has new maps every week. He always has the literature for a current project or a current series that's taking place. And all of that stuff ready. We've got a table back in the back in the lobby that has that stuff on it. And, and so it's a way that we can be involved in corporate evangelism. Another thing I want you to understand is special outreach days. And uh, they had these in the New Testament. I want you to look over at Acts chapter 16. They had some special endeavors that they began to plan. Now, they were led by the Holy Spirit in doing this. And uh, look, we, we shouldn't just come together and say, hey, What's the best idea that we can come up with to get people to church? Right? It should be led by the Holy Spirit. It should be led by the Scripture. It should be led by the principles of God's Word. But Acts 16, let's go to verse 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the Word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. So they wanted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. So the Spirit of God was trying to get them where He wanted them to go. Verse 8, And they passing by Messiah came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after we had seen the vision, after he had seen the vision, look at this, the next phrase, I love it. Immediately we endeavored to go. Isn't that good? Immediately we endeavored to go. Because we knew we had the right plan, we had the, the right action to take place, we endeavored to go, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now that's a pretty powerful verse. If I asked you to raise your hand tonight, if you thought God didn't want us to go out and give the gospel in Caldwell, I don't think there'd be any hands unless it's some kid who doesn't understand what we're doing. God's called us to reach this city. He's called us to love this city. He's called us to give the gospel out to the people of this city. And we already know that's right. And so we should endeavor to do it. And to endeavor to do it takes a coordinated effort. But sometimes the objection I here, kind of here whispered, is, well, I just don't like the planned evangelism. I like it to be spontaneous. And my question at that point always is, well, when's the last time you talked to somebody about the gospel? How's that spontaneous thing working for you? If it's never happened once in your entire Christian life, could I just say your plan's maybe not that great? If you're not getting any fruit out of it, please consider this plan. And this plan is a coordinated effort where you have the materials provided, you have the area provided, you have 
all of the verbiage provided. And you get to go and be a vessel or instrument for God. And it, so it's just one of the things we do, special outreach days. Now, there are several of these that we have through the year. Um, usually in March, we have a, a giant outreach day for the whole church where we try to get about 100 people to go out and just blitz the city with, with information that talks about our ministries and our Savior. But then, uh, like last year, and we're going to do it again next year, we're going to have a Love Works campaign. And we're really looking forward to that in February, where we show the city through some projects that we care about them, we love them. In December, we do Adopt a Family. In November this year, uh, we'd like to do a, a dinner for veterans on a Sunday afternoon and get volunteers who would be willing to help provide a, a nice meal for our veterans and invite veterans from all over the city to come, not just the veterans here at our church. There are ways that we can reach out in the 21st century that maybe we hadn't thought of before. And, and so when God lays that on our hearts and he shows us what it is, we should endeavor to do it. Now you say, well, what if it's not the right thing? Well, apparently if it's not the right thing, the Holy Spirit shuts it down. Did we just read that? And it's right in there. They endeavored to go two places where the Holy Spirit told them, no, don't go. And he shut it down. And sometimes we have ideas that we try that get shut down. We all do. Sometimes we have these ideas that just don't work and we don't do them a second time. And so we do have special outreach days. Then we also have special church services or special church events. And these are times where we focus on, as a church, that we're going to have a day where we want lost people to come to our church so that we can give them the gospel. And we design everything in that day about getting them through the door. We got one coming up in two weeks, Roundup Sunday. All right, now dressing up Western, that's kind of fun. Right, I wear boots once a year. Not a big deal. Sorry, folks, you people who wear boots every day. Don't mean to mean the boot crowd. Um, but I'll put it on for Roundup Sunday, wearing my boots. And it is a good excuse for me to wear jeans. Very good excuse. I want a Western shirt. And Roundup Sunday, you got a chili cook-off. And that's fun for us. We love that. But you know what we really love? It's a great opportunity for you to tell somebody hey, we're having this fun event down at church and get them in the door and let the Holy Spirit smack them in the heart with the gospel. And that's why we do it. And we don't just do it for fun and fellowship for ourselves. Right? Fellowship is a great thing. But it's only one of the things that we should do as a church. Outreach is even bigger. And sometimes we miss the point on that. So... We do the Roundup Sunday. October, we'll do um, Harvest Weekend again. Uh, great weekend. Harvest Weekend, we'll have, uh, uh, what's it called? The Truck Retreat. And then the day after, I think it's on the 26th, 27th of October, uh, we'll have a special day where we have the pie cook-off and, and uh, dress up old-fashioned and have some fun. We're trying to get people to come so that we can give them the gospel. And we're even redesigning how we do our trunk retreat so that we can capitalize on giving out more truth as people come around. We, had, we figured last year that we had between 800 and 1,000 people that showed up on our property. 
And I don't know, Brother Sid had to go back to Walmart and raid their candy aisle like seven times, you know. Just a constant, he's just backpacking candy in and giving it out. And I think we gave it out to the same kid like 20 times, one time. But hey, if you didn't do it last year, ask somebody who did and start thinking about how you could participate or how you could decorate your trunk or how you could help somebody. Uh, it's a great time for a special church event to say to the community, we care about you, but we want to connect with you. And most of all, we want to connect you to our Savior, because that's what matters. Of course, uh, Resurrection Sunday at Easter, we have those opportunities. We usually have a Reach Sunday or a Friend Day or whatever you want to call it, where you bring somebody with you. And in all of those sermons, we are pointedly trying to reach people with the gospel. And not being bashful about it at all, of whatever background they're from, we want the Holy Spirit to be able to work in their lives. So we've got personal relational evangelism. We've got corporate evangelism, special outreach days, special church events or services. And then here's the one that I think sometimes uh, gets overlooked in, in modern churches. And I think this is probably the biggest one. The biggest way we reach people at Centennial Obviously, lifestyle is important. Example is important. The biggest way, though, is discipleship. And I'm going to show it to you from the scriptures. So, discipleship is the biggest way we reach people. It's what they did in John 1, the method that Jesus used. He went and called 12 disciples, right? He went around with them for three years. And then, after he ascended, they began to have disciples of their own. They began to help young men follow in the faith. And, and women began to teach other women in Titus how to follow the faith. And so discipleship started to take place. I want you to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, as we studied 3 John in a sermon, that John the Beloved used discipleship as his method. And he trained young men. And in fact, we told you in church history that some of the people that John trained became leaders all the way in the early church until 150 A.D., 160 A.D. 2 Timothy 2 helps us understand what Paul did. And Paul, perhaps, is the greatest model for us in this area. 2 Timothy 2.2 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So Paul told Timothy, Timothy, I'm going to disciple you so that you can disciple somebody else who can disciple somebody else. And this is a great biblical method for reaching people with truth. And sometimes the people that take discipleship are people who are already saved. But through discipleship, they began to understand more about the Scriptures and understand more about who God is and begin to share it more of their faith. And so discipleship is a way that we do it. And, and if you ever have any questions about personal discipleship and how you could get involved, we would love to talk with you about that. And it's certainly one of our, our key ways that we want to reach people with truth. Uh, I remember years and years ago, 
in the late 1980s and early 1990s, there were churches across America that were publishing the number of their salvations and baptisms in newspapers and and the sword of the Lord and uh, revival fires when it first started and some other ones. You know, every one of those numbers represented a person, and so I don't, don't question what they were doing. But here's what you would question. You go through years, and, and you add up, and, and one church in Texas, Longview, Texas. Here's what they said. Over 10 years, we have baptized 60,000 new converts. 60,000 new converts that we baptize in our church. But their attendance stayed the same for 10 years. Okay, now, did they do a great thing? I, I hope they did. I hope they did. I went with some of their guys on a Saturday once, and it scared the life out of me. Um, but, you know, they left out the end part of the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You're supposed to do that. Right? Then we're supposed to baptize them. Supposed to do that. But then we're supposed to teach them to observe all things. And look, I've had people when I was a teenager, I'd go to houses Thursday nights, me and a buddy, and every week. And man, our goal was, hey, we got to get somebody to pray the prayer. And that's where we were going. I'm 15 years old, and man, we're going to get somebody to pray the prayer. And you come back and tell your leaders, hey, we got somebody to pray the prayer. Oh, that's great. They put the number on the list. You know, most of the time, I never even got the people's name. Now, hopefully they're in heaven. I, I hope they are. But I had been brought up in a system where it was all about being able to say that I prayed with somebody about salvation instead of actually nurturing that baby, helping that baby. None of you would go down to the hospital, have a baby, and then take the baby outside and lay it on the sidewalk and say, okay, hey, hope it works out. Good to see you. You wouldn't do that, right? So we shouldn't do that spiritually either. Discipleship protects our investment in the Great Commission here in the local church. That's what it does. It protects that investment. We find out the baby's name. We feed the baby a bottle. We change the baby's diaper. And then we change the baby's diaper again and again. And finally the baby starts to walk. You know, that happens in church life. And one of the dangers of, of getting into the wrong mentality about our evangelism is we win somebody to Christ and we expect them to be this cookie-cutter model of a Christian within six months where they've got all the T's crossed and the I's dotted and everything's good. And they wear the right clothes and they listen to the right music and they come uh, three to thrive, three to thrive, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and man, everything's in lockstep. But you know, it takes time for people to grow. And guess who we want to teach them? The Holy Spirit of God. That's who we want to teach them. And that happens through personal discipleship. And so those are the big five things of our outreach. And look, 
I don't know what your level of involvement is in outreach, but I know this. If you're a Christian, God has called you and commissioned you to be involved. Not just to give. That's, a, that's part of the commission too. How shall they go without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? That's all part of it too. But to actually be an influence yourself. To actually speak words yourself. Come and see. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus' house and to disciple people. So I don't know what your level of involvement is, but I would say this year, ask God if you could take a step forward in your outreach. Ask God if you could do just a little bit more. If you've never once tried to go out with a group to go out in a neighborhood with a map and meet people, try it. You will not die. Now, some people think, I will die. I'll literally die. You won't die. It's not that hard to say, hey, we're from Centennial Baptist Church. Just want everybody in the community to know who we are, know what we're doing down there. We have a sermon series going on right now, blah, blah, blah. Not that hard. But you know, most of us think it's the end of our lives to be able to do that. And God wants us to have courage. And if you're lacking courage on this, just read the book of Acts about 10 times. They were probably just a hair more forceful than we are when it comes to outreach. So there's some great things in the scriptures that speak to this. But you know, if Lord Terry's is coming, eventually none of us are going to be here. It's just a fact. We don't like it. But if Lord Terry's is coming, we'll all, we'll all be gone. And who will be the influence left in this area? It will only be the people that we've reached for Christ. And the people they've reached for Christ. And the people they've reached for Christ. And if we don't reach anybody, we're in big trouble. If we don't pass truths down to the next generation regarding outreach, we're in big trouble. Brother Seyfried was telling me a story before church. He said in his Bible class in school this week, he taught a story from the Bible from Acts chapter 5, and none of the kids knew the story. And so he got to teach it to them, and yeah, it's a great opportunity. But my first thought was, if none of them knew who Ananias and Sapphira are, we may be messing up. We may not be getting the truth down the way we're supposed to, to the next generation. And I have found no better method to make sure nobody slips through the cracks than one-on-one -on -one discipleship. You know, we have several of our teenagers who have taken personal discipleship and now are teaching one-on-one -on -one discipleship. And we've got a lot of ladies, and we've got some men, not as many as we'd like on the men. Because men are afraid to go into a room with another man. Right? Now, ladies, it's no big deal. Hey, let's all go to the restroom together. Right? Men is like, hey, hey, hey. Right? Men are just different. But you know, one-on-one -on -one discipleship is cool. I meet with guys. We talk. We have fun. And then we study the scriptures and we go through the material. It's okay to do that. You know what? It's God's method. It really is, scripturally. You look in Acts as they go from disciple 
to disciples, to church, to churches, and churches are multiplied, and outreach works. And God has called us to outreach. He really has. And so not beating up on anybody about this, it's just informational. Let you know what's out there, what's available. And if you have any questions about our outreach, I want you to talk to me. Talk to Brother Maddox tonight. We're going to go all have some ice cream together, and he's got some material for you over there. But we just wanted to share with the church what we're doing and how every member can be a minister. Because that really is the prayer of my heart, that every member would be a minister. I, I love it when kids are bold. And uh, they, they reach an age where they become awkward. And they become nervous. But I remember when, uh, when our boys were little, they'd say, Hey, Dad, do we have any tracks? I want to go give them to every person in the neighborhood. Love it. Go for it. And Autumn still, anytime we get a new flyer at church, she says, Dad, I haven't given this one out yet. And so she wants to go put them on doors and give them to her friends. And that's the heart of a young person who hasn't yet been persuaded that it's a foolish move to spread the gospel. Somehow, when we get older, all of a sudden, oh, bless her heart. Right? Bless his heart. What if we all just had a childlike faith that there are people in this community who still need Jesus Christ and that God wants to use us as vessels and instruments to reach them. Now, what if that happened? If we're not careful as Baptist churches and as good people, we become Calvinistic in our ideology. Now, we don't subscribe to Calvinism as a theology. We say, no, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. But that requires us to go. And if we never go, what we're really saying to the community is, you know what? If you're predestined to come in our church door and hear the gospel someday, then hopefully that works out for you. But we're not going out there to get you. We're not coming out in the lifeboat to throw out the lifeline. You've got to come to us. And that's the modern church. That's not the way it's supposed to be. In the New Testament, there was a relational, personal corporate outreach and discipleship that took place. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a closing word. And if you can come and have some ice cream down there, we'd love to do that with you. Have a special time together. Father, thank you for the folks of Centennial Baptist Church. Lord, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be the one who would guide us to this truth in our own lives. I know that I struggle all the time with my own level of evangelism and outreach because most of the people I know are already saved. So I pray that you would lay on our hearts to meet new friends, to make new relationships, and understand that you have designed that crossroads for a reason, that you want us to continue to spread the gospel because you love the world gave yourself for it. Bless our food to follow as well. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.